Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I am Andy Little, joined by my co-host, Drew Kalanow. Drew, how are you? I'm great, Andy. How are you? I remembered to both introduce myself and Drew in the same time, which is, I'm sure makes Drew a little this is, happy. This is a first. Yeah. Mark this down, October 27th, 2022. The first time Andy actually introduces me on a podcast. Your own. Yvonne is here. Yaron, how are you? Good morning. Doing great. That how was the worst pivot in the history of pivots, but I can't. <laughs> you just had to pivot away. It was fine. It, it, <laughs> no it, it worked out great. No worries. Good morning. Uh, Yaron Yvonne is the host and founder of the Penrules podcast, which is a great show. If you haven't checked that out, head on over to penrules.com to look at all their awesome content. And then one of our blog editor and now doctor, Patricia Capone, is here with us as well. Patricia, thanks hey for guys. having on. So we were approached by Yaron with this question. And he wanted us to do a shared episode. So if you're listening to this on our platform, great. If you're listening to it on Pemrolls, hello and welcome. Yaron, why don't you leave us with the question? Well, again, thank you guys for having me and good morning. And this is a question that I've always had in my mind after working, especially with ED residents and meeting a lot of ED docs. And I hear from a lot of general ED physicians and, and ED residents how pediatric patients make them very uncomfortable when they're always very worried taking care of pediatric patients. So they're always very worried that they're going to miss something in a pediatric patient. Now, obviously, I'm biased because I've been taking care of kids since the beginning of my career. I did general pediatric residency. But in my mind, and I had my share of doing, quote, adult emergency medicine in fellowship, in my mind, my world is a lot easier than yours. And it's much harder to miss something in kids because my average patient is a seven-year-old, super healthy kiddo who has no comorbidities, essentially, maybe takes one ADHD med that doesn't really affect his physiology very much. And usually they come in with some chief complaint that is misinterpreted by mom as something serious or surgical or critical. And the chance of me missing something is pretty low. And the chance of having some bad outcome is pretty low. But your patient, so your average patient, on the other hand, is a 80-year-old with 17 comorbidities who takes who knows how many medications and the chance of missing something or having a bad outcome is quite high. So I was always puzzled by this. Why are you guys nervous about those pediatric patients that are likely fine versus your patients that are truly sick? I have a two-part answer for this. So number one, like most things in medicine, and I think particularly emergency medicine, we rely on pattern recognition to feel comfortable about what we're doing. And so as you and I were talking pre-production, I see at most 20% pediatrics coming through my emergency department. So from a pure pattern recognition standpoint, I'm much more comfortable with adults because that's 80 plus percent of what I do. The other part of that, and it's not part two of my comfort level with pediatrics, but the other part of that is when kids are sick, they crash fast. Adults like to slow roll their crash and they signpost their illness and their crashing more than kids do sometimes. I mean, kids to me, the really sick kids I've had, they seem to fall off cliffs a lot faster. And maybe it again is pattern recognition that I don't understand the signposting of that really sick pediatric kid. Because I agree with your statement that most pediatrics, the vast majority, 90 plus percent of pediatrics is easy. The kid is fine. You have to just guide them a little bit. Usually it's nausea medication, it's pain control, sometimes it's antibiotics, not nearly as often as we probably prescribe antibiotics as it actually needed. But in that less than 10%, I don't necessarily understand the signposting that comes along with it. Now, all of this also changed though when I had children of my own, because I now understand how to interact with children 
better when I'm assessing them. Before I had children, the other part of it is I just didn't know how to do a proper assessment on a child. And it's not assessment. It's interacting with them to do the assessment. How to have mom hold the less than one-year-old. How to be goofy with a four-year-old so they feel comfortable with you. How to act like the 10-year-old is too cool for school and that's okay, right? So all those things play into it. Sure. No, those are, I think those are great answers. And I, I can totally respect it has to do with the experience. Sure. And for me, it's to add to what Drew said, I think the problem with kids is, is that, one, we're not going to read in the signposts, and parents wait so long to bring them to where typically when an elderly patient, say, you know, they're getting sick, like the nursing homes have a very low trigger to send them to the hospital. Their family members have a low trigger to bring them to the hospital. But even as a parent, I mean, I was telling you before that I've been hoping my nine-year-old doesn't have appendicitis, and I've been sitting on him for 30 hours now. Because I'm going to wait until he's really sick to bring him in because otherwise it could be nothing. And so why would I rush him to the hospital? Well, I think, Eddie, it's actually it's an inverse bell curve is what we see with pediatrics. Either they come in right away, like my kid had a fever for 10 minutes and I bring him straight to the emergency department. Or he complained, she complained, whatever, of abdominal pain. So I brought them straight to the emergency department. Or they waited days to come in. Right. There isn't the – they, they show up too soon for me to have any idea if it's anything whatsoever or they come in. As, as they are truly falling off the cliff. Yeah, truly an extremist. And then to me, the second part is is that it's the, you know, I think of acceptable miss rates, right? So if I see an 80-year-old female who comes in for, say, shortness of breath, and she gets admitted to the hospital, I don't get the diagnosis right, I'm going to probably admit her to the hospital because she's 80 years old with shortness of breath. Yeah, I mean, she had an 80% chance of admission yeah. the minute she walked yeah. through the front door, right? And then right? I add that she had one low pulse ox reading and she's admitted. Where a kid, they've got... if my acceptable risk with them is basically zero. Like I can't miss a sick kid. And so just the idea that a kid comes in, they fall into that maybe sick category. Like I stress about that because I can't miss that kid. Where if I miss the 80-year-old, like I'm going to miss them, but they're going to go, they're going to be upstairs with the miss. They're not going to be at home with a miss. Patricia, you probably have a unique perspective. I mean, you're a couple years into being an intern. You've seen some pediatrics. You've seen a lot more adults in pediatrics. You're, you still fall into the 80-20 rule in, of adult medicine. But, I mean, what's your take? Yeah, as an intern, obviously, there's just so much that we don't know. And because we do a lot more adult medicine than peds medicine, it's we focus on that more, I think, in the like beginning of our training. But also, for me, I think... You know, you have the 80-year-olds that comes in and they have multiple comorbidities and they're probably going to get admitted. And for me, I think just the stakes are so high with a young child. You know, and stakes are high with any patient that you see, but I think you know that you're dealing with mom and dad. There's just so many people involved. And I think just a pediatric code has the opportunity to be a lot more of a traumatic experience. I mean, we see adult codes probably once a week and maybe more. But yeah, pediatric codes, I mean, we can probably count on our hands how many times we see them in a couple months. So, no, I, can totally, I can totally understand the emotional component of it and the concern of missing something and sending the kid home inappropriately. I think that's where very vast and good and comprehensive anticipatory guidance comes into play. I send home a lot of kids that sometimes I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure enough and the, the parent seems responsible enough that if I tell them what to watch for and I tell them what to do, likely the kid is going to be fine. And if there's any red flags or warning flags, that the parents are going to come back. But I, I can totally appreciate the emotional concern and component of it. And then as we were talking, I also thought of the, the, the other thing that I always wrote with kids, especially kids that have vague, unexplained symptoms, 
is that kids have, they haven't played their cards for all their diseases yet, right? So an 80-year-old comes in, they basically have every disease they're going to have has manifested itself by the time they're 80 years old. But a seven-year-old, is this an underlying cancer that I'm going to miss? Is it an underlying endocrine problem that I'm going to miss? Is it something that that won't express itself till later? Or is this their sentinel moment that I'm going to miss because it's some rare zebra that I don't want to be the one that misses it? And so no, there's just this anxiety-provoking. This kid has a lot of life left and a lot of diseases to manifest itself. Am I going to be the one that misses it? And then it leads to a bad problem. And not even zebras. Well, zebras for adult medicine, but just there's a different set of diagnosis that we don't see on a regular basis. So when you think of a four-year-old with abdominal pain, now all of a sudden I have to think, is this, you know, Meckel's diverticula? Is it intussusception? Is it, you know, there's all these other diagnoses that don't happen in adults. Or here's the reality. The greater than 45-year-old with concerning abdominal pain is going to get a CT scan, like, before they walk in the door, it's already ordered, right? We don't want to do that to our children. So our diagnostic testing approach is different in children. So I also am more reassured by maybe my over-testing in adults, and I'm happy to admit that, that we over-scan adult abdomens. But I'm not going to miss that rare diagnosis in an adult because I'm scanning their abdomen. I don't want to scan the four-year-old's abdomen unless I absolutely have to, And so now that level of concern is greater, right? Because now my diagnostic testing feels more limited. And so that's another discomfort that comes with it because I'm so used to seeing no acute process or whatever process on my CT scan result as opposed to... And, you know, you have the opportunity to work in a pediatric hospital where I imagine the ultrasound modality is widely available. I can ultrasound anybody I want, but my ultrasonographers don't do pediatrics very often at all. So they're not comfortable with those exams. My radiologists don't read pediatric ultrasounds very often, so they're not comfortable making definitive diagnoses. So now the really useful imaging modality in pediatrics is taken away from me because they'll get the images. They will not argue about getting the images, but they will argue about making a definitive read on those images. Hey, everybody. It's Andy Little here, one of the hosts of EM Over Easy. If there was an ultrasound cover or a scanning pad that could help make ultrasound-guided procedures safer, easier, and more convenient both for you and your patients, don't you think you'd be interested? Now, remember, inserting an intravenous device is one of the most frequently performed invasive patient interventions in the emergency department. But despite their frequency, establishing an IV can still be challenging, particularly in patients with difficult-to-achieve IV access. Failed insertion attempts can cause pain to the patient and increase infection rates. They can also be expensive for the hospital, as each attempt requires additional time and procedures. Our friends over at Civco have come up with Envision ultrasound covers and scanning pads that are 100% gel-free and are designed to help you insert IV devices without the use of ultrasound gel, saving you time and helping you to reduce the risk of patient contamination. Envision uses silicone adhesive that attaches easily to any transducer, then instead of gel, you activate the probe with the use of sterile saline. When you're done with the procedure, you simply peel the cover off the ultrasound probe and send it to the high-level disinfection per your facility's policies. We invite you to request a free sample of Navision and try it out for yourself today. Just visit civco.com slash gelfree. That's C-I-V-C-O dot com slash G-E-L-F-R-E-E today. Yeah, and I think in training for us too, it's like, okay, I learned what I need to do for adult medicine. And it's like, oh yeah, if these same symptoms presented in a 45-year-old boot scan their belly and it's fine. So I think just from a learning standpoint, most everybody that comes through the ED gets an IV. 
It's like they get an IV, we get blood, and we move on. But when you go to the pediatric hospital, it's like, okay, we're not going to put this child through an IV if we don't absolutely have to. So do I really need that CBC? Do I really need that chemistry? No, I mean, we would argue that you don't really need it in most of the adult patients. We get it in other. Probably but, true. But, but we use those as crutches, right? And, and we don't have those same – adult medicine doesn't feel as though they have the same crutch when they approach pediatrics. Yeah, you guys remind me of the story when I – did adult emergency medicine fellowship and before I, I signed up for the patient to see and while I walk towards the room the nurse finds me and said hey doctor even I got you a rainbow and that was when I was introduced to the concept of rainbows I had no idea what a rainbow meant before that well you're just why would you get a rainbow, rainbow. <laughs> That's, thank you so much for getting me a rainbow yeah. I'm sure the patient will love it yeah and then no, but I what's certainly the number for those that. is there, yeah. a, is there, a, is there a leprechaun <laughs> at the end of the, the rainbow yeah. but I certainly appreciate that and I do think that that is part of the that that is one aspect in PEM that is a little bit more challenging. We can't really rely on blood tests and CTs, and I really appreciate when general EM physicians do the same and don't just stick the kid and don't just get a CT, but manage them more like a PEM a PEM perspective. So I, I can certainly see the challenge there that you, the reliance on on testing is is not as heavy. I mean, for yeah, that's ex- good. For example, I had a, a young, I mean, a young, less than ninety day old in my department that I was taking care of by myself, no resident help on it, with some increased work of breathing. Not febrile, so this is not a febrile patient, but but clearly working too hard to breathe in this shit. They have intercostal retractions, there's a little bit of grunting going on. Lung sounds don't sound bad. If this was an adult patient that came in with concerns for respiratory distress, and this kid was borderline hypoxic, right? I mean, we're talking, the question is, is it a CT scan of the chest versus an x-ray? They're getting a bunch of blood work. They're getting an EKG. They're getting a troponin, right? This kid only gets a chest x-ray. And then there's pneumonia with borderline hypoxia. And all right, well, this kid's declared themselves. They have to go downtown to my pediatric referral center because this kid, this is too young to send home, right? There's, there's no reserve on this kid. At a minimum, they have to be observed, and this kid leaves my ED without an IV, never having had blood work. All I have is a chest x-ray. And I would have gotten an IV and I would have started antibiotics, except that by the time we had the IV and we mixed the antibiotics to give to the kid and all that, the transport team was already going to be there. So I was actually going to delay care and getting them downtown by doing it. Plus, my nursing staff isn't amazing. And they get pediatric IVs more than I could ever imagine them getting them. But this is a really little kid that, you know, so all these things. Could you imagine in the adult world admitting an elderly patient with pneumonia and all you have is a chest x-ray? I tried to a couple weeks ago when we were when we were many people from our lobby. And I called medicine and said, hey, I got a guy with community acquired pneumonia or hospital acquired pneumonia was here three weeks ago, has pneumonia on their chest x-ray. They're like, what's their lab says? Like, they're not back yet. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, they're in the lobby. So I ordered them. But the only thing I have is a chest x-ray. And he's hypoxic out there on oxygen. And I figured I should probably get him. They're like, well, cost back on the med. I was like, I had to hold the guy for three more hours. Because it was just like it wasn't going to happen right. but, just but with the chest x-ray. In the pediatric world, oh, 100%. they're just like, it sounds great. Oh, yeah. You got a kid that young with pneumonia that, that's borderline hypoxia. Absolutely send or, to him. Or, or, or even with no testing. I had a five-day-old brewery, and I called medicine. like, oh, we got to keep this kid. And I was like, I'm just thought, I said, this is what the mom told me happened. They're like, oh, but we'll take him. And I'm like, it's, it's, a, different, it's a different world. happened in the adult world. And as another thing that came to mind was when Drew brought up the nursing, it's the adult nurses are great. Like, I love my adult nurses. If you're one of our nurses at Doctors or where I work now at Advent, I love you. You're great. But they get freaked out with kids. Oh, we all get freaked we out all with get kids. Freaked out with we kids. all get freaked out but, with kids. But unfortunately, I feel like one thing that is good is that over the course of an EM residency and then working as an, e, an EM physician is, is that we get really good at having that duck on a pond approach 
to where I'm really good at looking like I'm having a good time or looking cool and underneath like nearly drowning the entire time. Well, Andy, I don't think looking cool is actually the the description. I would I look, you look calm, I you look, look calm composed. Yeah, well. Yeah, cool is nah. We we made 15 minutes before Drew corrected me. So I'm going to count wow. this as a win. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That, that also might be a record. That, so mark this date sure, again. Sure. 10-27-2022. But it's also when we get a sick kid, most of those nurses are moms. And they view it like I'm taking care of my kid or, or they're a grandma. And so like there's just a lot more emotions in the room. And I've actually been where your own works and I've watched a pediatric code. And when I trained at, at Children's Hospital in Columbus, I'm amazed at the level at which pediatric nurses are able to keep their crap together. Mm-hmm. And so you work in an environment where that's bred and it's not for us. And so we have I mean, I think of the last two or three peds recesses, I spent as much time managing my staff as I did managing the patient. You wrote, I'm curious, though. To turn the things around a little bit, how long did it take you to be comfortable taking care of pediatric patients and then throw the adults in there also? That's a great question. So I did my residency in general pediatrics, and in general pediatric residency in general, you really don't see a lot of sick kids. You certainly see a lot of sick newborns in the NICU, but you do clinic. So I want to say that I loved my pediatric residency. I graduated with not a lot of comfort taking care of sick children. I was very lucky to have met in Pittsburgh for fellowship, and it was Within a few weeks, I remember having my first code in third month of fellowship, and I felt very comfortable. And I think one of the reasons, and it's a great question, Drew, is because in pediatric patients, and that's, again, one of the things that I tell the residents, in many ways, and you got to look at it this way, the sicker the kid, the easier it is. So when a nine-month-old comes in difficulty breathing, you basically cannot go wrong. Get an IV, give fluids, check the sodium, check the glucose, get a full set of vitals, even give prostaglandins, you're not going to go wrong. So I, I think when I adopted that kind of mentality or that kind of approach, things became a lot easier and clearer. But it was really, I was very lucky. It was very few weeks into fellowship. Well, and you do make a great point with pediatrics and something that we forget, I think, as adult doctors is it is hard to hurt a child. It really is. Now, you can miss a lot of things and that kid can go south on you, but there's really very few things you can do to a kid to make their condition worse. Contrast that to adults. There's a lot of things you can do and I remember to, that. to make things worse. And I remember, again, in fellowships doing, quote, adult emergency, and the attendings was like, what, you're going to give bolus so easily? Like, yeah, he needs a bolus. Like, no, 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 you, gotta, you can give him pulmonary edema. Like, what do you mean you can give pulmonary edema? It's just fluids. My patients are able to pump fluid throughout their body very easily because exactly. their heart's brand new. Yeah. The cardiac output is... Fantastic. Yeah. Clearly, you haven't heard the PEF ref and the <laughs> PEF and... Oh, yeah. No Don't bring what that is. Oh. Yeah, see? Exactly. <laughs> boom, boom. There it is. Adult versus peds. So I guess, Yaron, if you were thinking of the listeners and us here at the table who have some of these concerns about pediatric patients, what would be your words of wisdom to us? So that's a good question. My words of wisdom, if you're a trainee, is consider PEM because it's great. But really, my words of wisdom is, is the things that we discussed. You very rarely can go wrong. The sicker the kid, the easier it is. There's a bunch of things that you can do and say and, you know, obtain that you would just not go wrong. And it's very hard to miss something. Get into that mentality of, you know, checking those five, six things that can explain sickness, hypoglycemia, hyponatremia. You can fix those very easily. And have a low threshold to give what you think the child needs. You're not going to go wrong most of the time. I think that's a really fair description of pediatric emergency medicine. And, you know, it, like everything else, it's the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. And 
I do think for adult emergency medicine providers, particularly when you're training, you have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to engage in that pediatric patient. It's really easy sometimes to be, I don't like peds. I'm not doing peds. And you shut off. And so just don't shut down, right? Just like when you were in fellowship and you had to see adult patients, you couldn't shut down, right? But again, one thing to keep in mind, and that's a shout out to all trainees and EM physicians. I truly appreciate what you say, Drew. Um, please don't manage those pediatric patients like adults. Like, don't get that CT for every kid with abdominal pain. Make them jump, get an ultrasound, you know, use the other tools. And we do have other tools. We manage patients very well before CTs came around. But take a good clinical exam. And I always tell the residents, get a good story. If you get a get good HPI from a parent, you can, you can figure it out. Yeah, and as someone who's had the benefit of listening to your own lecture at our program every month for a while, that is a take-home that he sends to our residents and to our attendants all the time. And if your medical students work with me, I've also done this. A good history and physical gets you... 99% of the way there. And most people, and I think you would say impedes almost all the time. Yes, almost all the time. And I think those are words to live by in any patient you're taking care of. Well, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Don't forget we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. And while you're at it, go to PEMRULES.com and subscribe to your own podcast, PEMRULES, which is a great twice-a-month podcast that talks about ways you can better take care of pediatric emergency medicine patients.